Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where I ask people to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. They tell me four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe, but they also tell me one thing they'd like to bury in the ground and forget. My guest in this episode is the Welsh actor Sean Rhys-Williams, who is probably best known for playing Detective Caddy John in Hidden and the role of Jeannie Walker in Emmerdale. In 2016, she featured in Series 3 of the critically acclaimed Welsh crime drama Hinterland. And in 2017, she starred in Series 3 of the BAFTA award-winning 35 Deernot for SW4. Sean played the role of Trudy in the BBC One-slash-Netflix drama Requiem in 2018, which was followed by the lead role of Detective Inspector Caddy John in a bilingual crime drama, with all the dialogue recorded in both English and Welsh, before being broadcast on BBC Wales and BBC Four. Hidden ran for three very successful series. After this, Sean was in Silent Witness and Vera, and then was in the BBC serial hospital drama Holby City in 2020, playing Jodie, a tea lady who has a relationship with the consultant Sasha Levy. She was also in the feature film Justine with Tallulah Haddon and Sophie Reed. 
In the theatre, Sean has played Marta in Children of Fate, Linda in Alan Bennett's Enjoy at the West Yorkshire Playhouse, and has worked extensively with new writing theatre Payne's Plough on their roundabout theatre season. She starred, to wide critical acclaim, as W in Duncan Macmillan's Lungs, which was awarded the 2016 Manchester Theatre Award for Best Studio Production. Sharma's was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Inside Soap Awards and the National Television Awards and Best Actress at the British Soap Awards. But I think she would claim her best acting, and you'll hear more about this in the podcast, was reserved for her 2022 Christmas University Challenge appearance as the captain of the team of the alumni from the University of Hull, who were narrowly defeated, a mere 70 points in it, by the team who attended Balliol College, Oxford, in the final, no less... So let's get straight to it. Here is Sean's starter for ten, well, five things from her life to go in a time capsule. I can't imagine anybody saw you on University Challenge at Christmas and didn't fall in love with you, I think. Oh, you know, I am the most hideously competitive human being you're ever going to meet. <laughs> and it was a colossal effort on my part to just keep it together. But I think in a way, because we never expected to do well, because on paper, we were not going to get anywhere. There was a dog trainer, an actor and two writers. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, you know, we're not spanning a lot of expertise there. And yet somehow we ended up in the final. For uh, every actor in the country, you've made us feel really good. Do you know well. what we have? We have. We, we all picked up yeah. quite a lot of knowledge, actually. I think we're doing yeah. quite well. You know. so stupid after all. <laughs> I, said to, um, I said to James Graham who was sat next to me. We were at uni together, you know, mm-hmm. to be sat there. He's one of my best friends. To be sat there together was like the most incredible, insanely surreal thing. But I said to him beforehand, I said, listen, if I get one question right, people are going to think I'm a genius. <laughs> you get one question right, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best. It was such... Have you done it? You haven't done it, no? I, no, I haven't. No, oh, I don't think was- I would. I've not got the nerve. It was the most amazing experience. I loved it. They asked me to do it and I and I thought, I can't say no to this. But it was great because we didn't expect to do well. We kind of did. It came did. across. That absolutely came across without a doubt, Sean. It was one of those yeah. things where every time you go, I think it's that. I think somewhere in my head it's that. And you'd say it and they'd go, correct. Yeah. And you go, and <laughs> every time there was a look of surprise. That's memory. That's line learning, probably, right? Yeah. Somewhere in the back of your head, it remains forever. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. You, it just pops I out. I pride myself. Yeah, I do love a quiz, I've got to say, which will come up later, actually. Okay. Uh, and we, we were Jeremy Paxman's final show as well, which was just... Oh, uh, yeah. Kind of like be part of that was sort of crazy as well. I loved every minute of it. it was so oh, no, I bet you did. I bet you did. And well done. Absolutely. And in, in a way, better that you didn't win. You know, yeah, we were sort of like the kind of like the underdogs that kind of did surprisingly well, and um, yeah, the everyman, quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other team was so lovely. We we got lucky, I think, because apparently it was quite um competitive in a kind of like not very friendly way. Oh, and I tried really. I mean, I have the capacity to be that way. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I really had to have a word with myself to kind of go, no, this is this is fun. Yes, it's a Christmas show. Come on. Yeah, yeah, just pull it together and be nice to people. <laughs> well, well done. I'm glad that I watched it. I thought you were lovely on it. I thought oh, you managed that completely. You managed that thing of looking as if you were slightly surprised to be on it, but then demonstrating fantastic breadth of knowledge. That was not acting. That was real. 
I read a tweet, somebody saying, oh, she's really annoying. Um, she's acting very annoyingly or something really badly worded. And I, and I normally, I would never respond, but I was on such a high from just the experience of it that I thought, no, I'm going in on this. And I just yeah. said, oh, I'm not acting. I really am that annoying. <laughs> she didn't reply. That's the best way. There's nothing you can say to me that uh, I haven't thought about myself a million times. <laughs> no, Darren. I don't know if you've missed the title, but actor, therefore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite thinking I'm the greatest thing in the world, I also think I'm the worst. Yes. Sometimes at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Oh, my God. So where where are you now? Where am I now? I mean, we've got to ask exactly the same question. Uh, There we are. (laughs) I'm I'm in Tunbridge Wells. Oh, nice. Yeah, so down in the countryside. Are you? Yeah, I moved here six months before the original lockdown. Right. So really, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but a lot of the time I still feel like I'm kind of settling in and finding my feet and finding my roots, really, because I sort of moved for, you know, the reasons that people leave London, which is money and Mm -hmm. stress and all of that, but then spent a long time stuck in my house on my own, you know. Because it's not exactly your roots, is it, Cardiff? It's South Wales, but not where you're from. My parents are just over an hour's drive away, which is actually really lovely. Mm. Especially, you know, as you get older, you kind of want to be going back home feels like a therapy in itself as you yeah. get older, because my parents are great. So I like to spend time with them. They're actually really lovely, interesting people. And just the greenery of just where I grew up, which, you know, I fought so hard when I was kind of a teenager and I just wanted to get away from it all. Now I kind of feel like it's a really, really lovely thing. And being close to it means I can get back there when I need to. Yeah. And Cardiff's great, you know, it's just, it is different. I'm I'm one of these people who I like to be in very big cities or a field. And Cardiff is neither of those two things, but it has its own charm that I, that has, yeah, there are things about it that I really, really love. Sometimes I go, oh, do you know what? I've had enough. I think I just want to go and live in a shed and not speak to anybody ever again. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I think I need to go to a party immediately. So. <laughs> Where I grew up is mountainous, actually. Right. So very much landlocked. But I'm down by the bay, which is obviously as sea as you can get. And actually, it really does grow on you. And there is something really lovely about the water. And the thing that was good about being here six months after, you know, moving and being in lockdown was that I could get to the sea Mm. within minutes. I could Mm. just walk and just see sort of... Some days that was kind of more awful than great because you kind of pathetic fallacy of the sea of going, this is my life and I feel so sad and that sea (laughs) over there looks grey and miserable like I feel. Um, But also there's just something amazing about just not seeing anything for like miles, isn't there, of kind of Mm. going, oh, that feels good for my brain and my eyes and my senses just to kind of see nothing but expanse of horizon. Mm. It's beautiful. I spent a lot of time filming in North Wales over the last sort of five years mm. and I haven't really done much exploring of North Wales at all because it's an absolute bitch to drive to from anywhere yeah. because yes. we just don't have any motorways in Wales. <laughs> no. And yet it's so gorgeous and there's so much to do and I'm so glad that I finally sort of explored it really. Wales, what a lovely place. Isn't it just? Yeah, Yeah, you were right in the middle when you were a kid, were you? Right in the... Brecon. So not really, not south of the middle, I like to call it, because 
mm. you know, you've got to stay true to your north-south roots in where if you're a Welsh <laughs> speaker in Wales, and I'm very much South Walian, thank you. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> so I would never say, you know, can't even quite bring myself to say mid-Wales. I just call it <laughs> but yeah. Sort of north-south Wales. Yeah, yes. yeah, I'll accept that. Perfect. Sean, let's get on with it. Let's discover the things you want to put into a time mm. capsule and then uh, see what that reveals about, well, about me, I think, probably. Oh, yeah. My oh, lack of knowledge it. of anything. I thought, what am I going to do? Because it could be, it's such a broad, yeah. I could do anything, right? Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I thought, do I want to put people in places? And I was kind of drawn to some people. And the first thing I want to put in is a person and who I believe is probably the greatest person on the planet, Dolly Parton. (laughs) Lovely. Dolly Parton, to me, is probably the greatest human being on the planet for so many different reasons. Mm. And I think possibly one of the greatest who have ever walked the earth. I just think she's, she's just magnificent on every single possible scale of the spectrum that you could be magnificent on. Mm. She looks like nothing else in the world, has embraced that entirely and is just so full of like self-love. And I'm sure like anybody, she kind of has days where she wishes she wasn't Dolly Parton, but she just is a rainbow of joy Mm. in every way. And for many years, I used to think that she was probably a bit of an embarrassment because my dad was a huge Dolly Parton fan. And growing up, I remember thinking, oh, why would you be a fan of Dolly Parton's? Look at her, she's ridiculous. And I knew nothing about her. And then I think I borrowed his car when I was in the early sort of years of university. And the only CD he had in the car that day was the greatest hits of Dolly Parton. (laughs) I think I must have been driving quite a long way because otherwise I probably would never have put it on. And I thought, oh, okay, right, fine. I'm just going to have to listen to this because I don't want to listen to the radio. And I put it on and by sort of the end of this journey, I was like, oh my God, I'm so in love with this woman. (laughs) And she's such an incredible songwriter. She tells stories so beautifully in her songs, I think. Mm -hmm. And that is a real skill that not every songwriter has. And it's... And it all comes from her life and the truth of her life. And she's had the most extraordinary life. And I just think she's just magnificent. For many people, if you put the label country in front of something, they immediately yeah. ignore it. Yes, and they... I was the same. And now I love country music. I even would go as far as to say that I will listen to, you know, I'm talking like, I will. there's a place in my heart for like that awful sort of macho, <laughs> Republican-y, Mm-hmm. Here I am in the back of my truck with my new wife kind of vibes, just because it's yeah, so yeah, yeah. I just love a song with a story, and that's what country is, isn't it? Yeah, you forgive that sort of, I'm a real man. Oh, I'm it's awful. Man. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And yet mm. that's kind of why I love it. But Dolly is a different class. She's she's actually really amazing. Yes. I Just the other day, I was recording an audiobook, and on the table, they just published a book of all of her lyrics. Oh, wow. With, with photographs, a huge oh, coffee table book. I need and that. That sounds. I know. I wish I'd nicked it now. I could send it to you. I'll find that. I'm going to find that when we finish speaking. But it's absolutely amazing. And I looked through the lyrics, and they're just the most beautiful poetry. You forget, of course. I mean, I first realized the genius of her when it was revealed to me that she'd written, I Will Always Love You. Yeah. And her version is just so beautiful. It is beautiful, isn't it? Do you know the story behind it? 
No, no. So the story behind it is amazing. So she had been, so the, she got her big break on the Porter Wagoner show. So Porter Wagoner was this very famous um, country singer in his time, sort of must have been the 60s then, I guess, and, and earlier. Mm. And he had his own show. And every week she was on his show and they would sing together and they became sort of like a double act, but it was very much his show. Mm. And as she became sort of more famous and within her own right and kind of, you know, everybody kind of fell in love with her. She wanted to sort of move away from that show. And I think she, maybe she was contracted or more just from, just from loyalty. He wouldn't let her go. Uh. And basically cut a very long story short, she wrote that song to say, I'm going and I love you. But so it's a song, it's a, it's a song about platonic love, actually. It's so beautiful. And I'm so glad in a way that it's out there for other people to kind of hear. But I do feel quite protective for Dolly in that I like to make sure that everybody knows that she wrote it. Really. <laughs> because... And actually her version I now, I prefer it. I, I mean, Whitney's version is extraordinary in its own right. But yeah, there is, I just love the simplicity. And I just mm. think her voice is just, I just love Dolly Parton's voice. She sounds like a little kitten and that's just. <laughs> a little kitten, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that little trill of a vibrato that she's got. It's faster than most people. Yeah. And yet, you know, there's all of that gorgeous softness and sort of light and airiness about Dolly Parton. And yet. She's very clearly one of the most savvy business people in the world. And she's also a huge philanthropist. And the things that you learn about Dolly when you become a fan of hers, is just like mind blowing. Every single time you learn something new about her, you go, oh my God, I was right. She is the most amazing person in the world. She has, do you know about the imagination library that she Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so she has this thing called the Imagination Library and you can apply, and it used to be just for her county, but I think it's sort of worldwide now where she will send, she, I say she, the company that she has Mm -hmm. built will send a book every year of a child's life from birth to five on their birthday. So she came from a very, very poor background and illiteracy was sort of rife in her kind of county and it kind of And she just feels that it's so important that every single child has the opportunity to learn and read. And I think she used to have a mobile library van that she used to drive around in her county. And all of these children didn't know that she was Dolly Parton. They used to call her the crazy book lady. (laughs) I mean, that's just so cool. Yeah, right. I know. Isn't she just the greatest? That's astonishing. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's a prime example, isn't it? You really think that the world would take lessons from these things that we would realise. Because if you look at what she's done, what she's achieved, to just assume that, well, we don't have to help these people to get to that position. If they're Dolly Parton, they'll do it. But she at any point could have given up. She at any point could have been knocked back. Yeah. And also just not, you know, made loads of money and just kept it to herself. Jeff Bezos gave her a hundred million dollars, probably because he knows that he would spend it on making himself a stupid rocket. Whereas she will actually do good with it because Mm -hmm. she's amazing. She is. And possibly the most amazing thing about her is that she looks exactly the same now as she did 40 years ago. I saw her live at Wembley, God, about 15 years ago now. And we were nine rows from the front. And I'm pretty sure, not not. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I don't think she sang live all the way through. Fair um, enough. Because she's sort of, you know, your voice changes as you age, right? Mm-hmm. But what was amazing was just watching her tell stories and just being Dolly Parton, it was worth every penny. She's just great. Yeah. Although I didn't pay for it, my dad did back then. <laughs> <laughs> 
If I find that book, I'll send it to you. Oh, God, yeah. No, that sounds amazing. I've got some nice coffee table books that will go very nicely with my collection. (laughs) Okay, brilliant. Well, let's put Dolly in then. Let's put her into the time capsule as the first thing. (laughs) Brilliant, John. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's move on and find out what else there is. Uh, So the next thing I want to put in is a ball of clay to represent um, my new-ish, yeah, new-ish hobby. Of pottery. So I do pottery now. <laughs> I do pottery now is <laughs> that I tell people a lot. About a year and a half ago, I started pottery lessons. Mm. I just finished a job. So I, I was in a TV series called Hidden, which I played the lead detective in. And it was a huge part of my life for sort of fi- five years, really, mm. from the beginning of shooting the first series to ending it. And um, it was the end. And as you know, when you do something that you have put a lot of time into for a long period of time, it really becomes part of you in so many ways. And leading a show for the first time was an amazing thing. And mm. it was an incredible company of people. The crew were just wonderful. It, it really was an exceptionally important part of my life and career. And I knew that I'm not great at keeping myself into in a routine or keeping going when I finish a job, I can very quickly slide into being lazy and then being a bit depressed. Mm -hmm. And, and I knew I could see it coming. I knew, right, this one's going to be the big one because this is the end of something huge for me and really important. And I don't know about you, but there have been many things that I would like to learn over the years. And I kind of talk myself out of them by going, oh yeah, but if I, if I start that course, I might not finish it. If I get a job, I'll have to go away. And then I thought, you know what, A, that's fine if that happens. And B, when does how often does that really happen in like six weeks of finishing something? You're back into something else. I mean, yeah, yeah. you have to be really lucky for that to happen. Yeah. And so I <laughs> knew of a pottery studio in Cardiff that is quite frankly extraordinary. It's this huge warehouse where they put on classes. You can become a member. And I went and did a six-week course. And fell in love with it. And essentially, I have now been going four times a week for the last year and a half. I'm now a member at this studio. Um, It's brought new people into my life. It's taught me for the first time in my life to be patient. (laughs) Um, Only with pottery, though. I'm still working on it in my life. But it's the most amazing hobby. Because I think having hobbies is something that we don't tend to do when we're adults, right? Like, Watching telly isn't really a hobby. I love doing it. I love doing it too much, but it's not a hobby. You can't call that a hobby, can you, really? sitting? No, not really, no. And yet I have a hobby for possibly the first time in my life, and I love it, and it's changed my life. Is And I know that sounds slightly sort of overwrought, but it's it's true. It's been so revolutionary for my mental health, just concentrating on something as an actor that isn't worrying about when the next job's coming from, or not even just worrying, just like thinking about it and going, oh, I need to be like this and I need to be more, I need to be more this or less Mm. that. And just sitting down in front of a lump of clay and going, right, I'm just going to concentrate on this for half an hour because my hands are too dirty to pick up my phone anyway to see if my (laughs) agents called me or whatever. And Um, did you find that you had an aptitude for it or did you have to work at it? Yeah, so I think that I'm told that I have a bit of an aptitude for it but practice goes a very 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 long way with it because there's sort of rules in in the the initial shape that you have to make 
And mm. so if you can learn those, then you're you're halfway there. But I'm told that I do have sort of an aptitude for it, but I do go four or five times a week now. It is my routine when I'm not working because I don't have kids and my routine is the lack of routine. And yet Mm. that's not really that great for you, especially. No, no, the work gives you the routine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I certainly can start to feel a little bit useless and a bit pointless sometimes if I really let myself kind of go there. And I'm definitely somebody who, if I'm not really good at something straight away, I can very easily discount it and go, oh, that's stupid. I don't want to learn that. Whereas with this, I think I knew that that was probably going to be impossible to be really good at pottery straight away. Like, who, you know, unlikely. And I think because of that, I really, really stuck with it. And I'm still, and it's still every day you're kind of, it's never easy, which is, which is great. Mm. And I suppose it also depends on what, your first standard is so if you sort of go along thinking well i wonder if i can even make anything mm-hmm. and then you make a bowl mm-hmm. and you go i've made a bowl yeah. and then they say well put some glaze on it you say well I, the, the glaze is you know i can't tell what the colors are going to be no so it's just all, have a go every step all the way along you never know what's going to happen which kind of suits my life like i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i might get an you know a multi-million pound contract i'm mm. not going to unlikely <laughs> but it could Um, And I suppose pottery is a bit like that, but in mug form. Um, (laughs) I love it. And it's brought some wonderful people into my life too, because as you can imagine, it draws nice people to it. I was there this morning. All of my clothes are covered in clay and I wouldn't have it any other way at the moment. It's great. And to do something creative that is so different to acting Mm. You know, people will say, oh, do you write? And and I say, no, but also you have to, it's in the same sort of trench, isn't it? Acting and writing. Whereas this, I can just completely forget all of that. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, my flat's becoming just absolutely covered in (laughs) (laughs) What I like about pottery is, and the process of making it, is that you absolutely have to accept right at the start that you may put a lot of effort in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it then it just breaks. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's that's been quite interesting, actually, because I weirdly don't get that attached to anything. And even if something looks nice, sometimes I'll go, I don't like it, and I'll just get rid of it. And you see people go, oh, my God, um, friends of mine at Pottery. And I, and, I, and I think, oh, well, I suppose that comes from just having quite a transient working life. Like, mm-hmm. you can't get attached to, if you get too attached to, say, an audition that you really want to get, it's going to send you into a spin of doom for weeks. Not saying that, you know, it happens all the time, but learning that over and over again has made it for me very easy to smash up a sort of vase that hasn't worked out or one that I just don't really like very much. Yeah. People go, why did you get rid of that? It's like, because I didn't like it and I didn't want to carry on. Have another go. Yeah. It's been amazing for me. And just, you know, like I said to you earlier, COVID and lockdown was really, really hard. I'd, I'd moved to Cardiff. I live alone. I don't have a garden. Like everything was really tough. And then I found this brilliant thing that has been just the best. And meeting people, you know, friends that I've made that I would never have met well, from all walks of life in that place. We would never meet each other. Mm. And I love it. Do you think you might go the whole hog? And get yourself a kiln. I'd love that. If I had a garden, there'd be a kiln in it. But currently, <laughs> no. Ultimately, that's one of the dreams of life. But currently, mm-hmm. that will not happen. But yeah, I love it. I sell some stuff too sometimes. 
I've got to the point where I make things that people actually appreciate having as presents, not, oh, great, thanks. What a lovely (laughs) mug, question mark, but... um, (laughs) And how transient is acting, is performing, it's there, it's gone. But here you are making something that is permanent, that will survive. And then once that million pound contract comes along, I'm going to buy some now just in case. They'll be worth a fortune. They will. Have you signed them on the bottom? <laughs> yeah, they've got, I've got a little stamp. <laughs> well, very, it's a very, very professional uh, situation over here. <laughs> working my way up to a John Lewis contract for like dinnerware sets or something. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay, well, let's put pottery in then. Hmm. That's two things we put in. So yes. let's see what number three is. Okay, time to take a short ad break now. Of course, if you'd rather not have ads in this podcast, all you have to do is sign up to Acast Plus. But for everyone else, we'll keep a welcome in the hillside till you come home again to... Well, to my time capsule, obviously. See you in a moment. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to part two of My Time Capsule with the actor Sean Reese williams in which she reveals the final things she's chosen to put in her time capsule from her life. But of course, you knew that. Okay, so number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is my brother. So I lost my brother four years ago to a brain tumour. Specifically, the version of my brother that I want to put in is the one from our childhood. So sort of... 10 to about 14 (laughs) was probably his favorite period of our relationship because he big brothered the hell out of me to the point where, you know, just his entire existence was built around embarrassing me or blackmailing me (laughs) or pranking me. And so for me, whenever I think about my childhood, he is the overriding sort of presence in it in wonderful ways that that all sounds like he spent his life trying to make my life a misery and it wasn't it was uh 
<laughs> it was just um, what Big Brothers do, I think. And it was all playful and free and wonderful. Mm. And whenever I think about him, actually, which is great because, you know, at the end, he was really poorly. And when I think about him, I think of him in, in sort of like the, the late kind of 80s and just being really cute and funny and a prankster. He, um, I think the reason I wanted to to put him into the time capsule is so that I could tell this specific story. So one year, I think I must have been, I don't know, let's say I was seven, so he'd have been 11, something around that kind of age. He said to me one day, he was like, right, it's the, it's the Grand National today, Sean, it's the Grand National, we're going to, why don't we do some bets? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Said, okay, <laughs> let's put our pocket money on a horse each. It's like, yeah, fine, okay. So we looked in the newspaper, you know, he made it a big kind of thing. It was like, yeah, let's do this. Be great. I think I picked the one that's Jersey. I liked the best, you know, <laughs> yeah. eight, and he chose his. We went up to his bedroom and we had mum and dad's old black and white TV that you had to tune in like a radio, you know, one of those little box things in his bedroom. And we put it on and we found the channel and we sat down and we watched the Grand National. And miraculously, my brother's horse won the Grand National, <laughs> which was really difficult to take as an eight-year-old girl that my brother had taken my pocket money of that week that, you know, it's 50p, but at the time, 50p mm. could get you a long way. And I had to give it up. Anyway, so yeah, so he miraculously won the Grand National. And um, gradually, as the day sort of like wore on, not be, being fairly savvy for an eight-year-old, I kind of realised that, wait, I think, the, I think the Grand National happened earlier in the day. <laughs> he had watched the actual Grand National, and this was the highlights that we had watched. Oh. And he pranked me out of my pocket money, and he would, he would, he would actually probably say that this didn't happen but he did not give me that money back <laughs> he didn't get it back how naughty is that <laughs> and brilliant he, and honestly that was his entire existence around me and the way that we kind of were together like our entire lives really was kind of like just kind of winding each other up in a very childish way mm. and I really miss that obviously you know because that's shit when people aren't there anymore who you know who's young and should be and but I just loved our childhood together. It was just a mm. really special time. And of, big brother as well, a big brother. That doesn't yeah. feel right, does it? No. And and he really, and, you know, he really lived up to that kind of like, you know, he'd have me in a headlock most of the time and sort of like <laughs> rubbing my kind of head with his thumb, like really aggressively. But he loved me so much and was really proud of me, like secretly very proud of me. Like yeah, of yeah. Grudgingly very proud. Mm. And it's really interesting that when you do lose somebody, you kind of continue your relationship with them. I, I've certainly tried to do that in ways that, you know, I try to raise money for brain tumor charity and I'm a kind of patron for them. And I try to just kind of honour that relationship because it was cut too short. And Yeah, yeah. Um, and was it sudden? Did it, no, or was well, it over a long period? Yeah, so he'd had a, a brain tumour for many, many years, sort of oh, yeah. much, much longer than most people do survive with this particular kind of brain tumour. But eventually it just kind of, it won out really. And um, Yeah. And, but yeah, in that journey, was, there are always moments of hope, aren't there, which yeah, are terrible. Yeah, he was just, he was amazing. Like, he's such, so stoic. And I'm sure, you know, there were times when he didn't feel that way and he didn't, you know, I know there were, but he was amazing. And he never, he never really changed who he was in that sense, you know. He was always my annoying big brother. <laughs> my annoying big brother right up to the end kind of thing, really. So, yeah, God, years and years of, of, 
ridiculous blackmail things would that I would do that meant nothing like I remember I once you know accidentally poured a lot of salt over my food I was four and <laughs> instantly sprung into action like he saw that he could blackmail me for many many years by saying I'm going to tell mom that you just did that because he made it out to be the most awful thing that you he literally <laughs> oh my god what have oh, you done god. yeah and so for years I would say you know I'm going to tell mom that you did this and he'd just look at me and he'd say salt <laughs> it would work every time and I think I got it well into my teens before I realized that actually I don't think that's going to work <laughs> no. I think mum's going to go what the hell are you talking about <laughs> she won't care no. Yeah. yeah no, he, oh god he could have written the book on being the 1980s quintessential big brother and there was something really 1980s about it as well you know Mm. Kind of like the films of the 80s. It's all very sort of like Home Alone, Macaulay culkin Problem Child, all of that kind of thing. It felt very much of its time, that relationship. Mm. But there's <laughs> yeah. something really lovely about the pranksters in our lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're very important people in, in any relationship, I think. And but, he uh, gave me my sense of humour, I think. Mm. really did. Like, the, I find such silly things funny and I and I make myself laugh with the most <laughs> ridiculous things. And... Very child, very, very childish sense of humor I have <laughs> for a 41-year-old woman. It's a problem, but it's uh, <laughs> it's thanks to him, really. I, I, yeah. I, he lives on in my ridiculousness, I think. <laughs> what was your brother's name? His name was Hir, which is a Welsh name, which is essentially, I believe, the Welsh version of Lear, so sort of King Lear. Right. Um, Hir, yeah. Oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he was he was great and yeah. continues to be, you know, great in all possible ways. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people do die, but they don't they don't die for you, no. do they? No, no. And they do, and it's true that, you know, your relationship continues and can kind of grow in ways, obviously not the quite the way that you'd want it to, but you can continue to have a relationship with that person when they're not there. But yeah, him aged sort of 10 to 14 would be great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The prankster teenager. Yes, absolutely. In he goes. (laughs) Great. Okay, we've got two more things. Great. So I was thinking that I wanted it to be something to do with work and kind of what maybe sort of sort of spurred off my the inner show off in me and what made me kind of go down this stupid road of being an actor. And Mm. that would have to be Les Miserables. Oh. I was and probably continue to be rather obsessed with that musical. <laughs> yeah, I was about nah, eight, maybe even younger, actually. But when it sort of came into my sort of consciousness, I was probably seven or eight. So kind of young cassette age. I had the long hair. I thought I looked like the girl on the poster. I was obsessed with it and was obsessed with it for many years. And I thought that I would go into musical theatre. I really thought that that was the way I was going to go. And then I realised that you have to be a machine to do that. And you have to be really dedicated to it and mm-hmm. kind of probably wasn't the route that I was going to go down. But it did, you know, it was the starting point for so many things, starting point of how my best friend and I became best friends because we were both into music and we would sing together and how I ended up in the National Youth Music Theatre would be from my original love of Les Miserables. And I I wouldn't say that I've sort of continued, you know, I don't have a nerdy encyclopedic knowledge of musical theatre in any way whatsoever, but that I could sing you every single note of that 
musical. <laughs> one day I'm going to do a one woman Malemas with all of the voices because I do a mean Colm Wilkinson impression. <laughs> uh, I'm not doing it for you now. Um, nobody needs to hear that. And I love It's it. a great idea. I, I would I would pay to see it. I don't even think I would need a director. <laughs> I think, you know what? I've done a one-woman Les in my living room plenty of times. I don't need anybody to teach me how to do it. I've got <laughs> no, do we really um, need directors anyway? Yeah. Do we? Oh, don't say that. <laughs> I might be listening. You do kind of get to... You, I, when I, I was on Emmerdale for five years and... and not in any way because they, you know, it's just a time thing that you had to really learn to trust your own instincts mm. because the director had a thousand things to think about in 0.05 seconds. And yeah. when you play a character for sort of four or five years, you know them better than anybody and you really do. And you kind of mm. do find yourself sort of standing up for them in a really weird way. Yeah. And kind of go, wait, why am I biting the director here? This is terrible. I'm to sit back down. But you do kind of, you learn to trust your own instincts in that way, don't you? But yeah, yes. I, could, I could definitely, definitely do a one woman, I think. When did you first see it then? So my sister was really into it. My sister's sort of nine years older than me and she, and I just wanted to be her, just, I probably still do to a degree, but I just wanted to be her and like everything that she liked and hate everything that she hated and, you know, kind of all of that. And she was into it and we'd listened to it in the car. And then we went to London to see it. Um, I must've been about nine. And it was at the palace at the time. It's it's the first theater that it was in, in London. So Mm. it's still very much new, you know, pretty new anyway, Mm. in comparison to what it is now. And I remember, do you remember that they had the girl that from the poster on the front wall of the palace? Yeah. Above that was the bar. And I remember going, <laughs> so embarrassing, so embarrassing because I probably still do it now. But <laughs> I remember going in and getting a T-shirt and I was with my mum and dad and I had this long sort of cosette hair and I put the T-shirt on and I sat above the sign outside in the bar. And I remember looking out over Cambridge Circus being like, <sighs> Oh, it's just so hard being Cazette. And I was so in it. Poor <laughs> <laughs> little starving orphan. Exactly. Yeah. And then we went in to watch it and it just, I remember just going right, oh no, this is what I want to do. Mm. And never again did I think I wanted to be a nurse or a hairdresser from that day on, I don't think. No. no. <laughs> yeah, well done. I been a hairdresser. Not just a hairdresser, but that might have been more um, steady. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe lucrative, who uh, knows? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Strangely enough, I auditioned for Les Mis right early on. I mean, when it what had just... Part? So the character that sings, do you hear the people sing that song? Angelus. Mm. Love him. I was young enough to play it then, when it first came out. Yeah, he's and... got the he's got the best uh, best costume too. He's got that fantastic red waistcoat. Ah, he's, yeah. He's the sex symbol of the piece. Oh well, there you are. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Know. I auditioned for it. Did you? And I didn't. Oh my god, this is. I can't believe I'm about to say this. I auditioned for it, and I got a recall, and I had been offered as you like it at Derby Playhouse. Mm. And because I realised that I probably didn't want to do musical theatre because the audition process is so unbearably painful and difficult and I'm just too much of a wimp for it, <laughs> I didn't go to my recall for Les Mis. Wow. <gasps> I can't believe I'm saying that now. No. Who was I? What was I thinking? <laughs> and that production yeah. of As You Like It was not good. <laughs> but, you know, you could have done a year in Les Mis and, you know. <sighs> I could have lived my childhood dream and I chose not to. Mm. I chose to cut it short. 
I've it had friends who've done it. Wow. And the first time I saw it, I went to see it with an actor who played Tenardier for years. In fact, I think maybe in the original production, I think he may have played Tenardier. Wow. I've got a Madame Tenardier in me. I think I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm too old for the other women now, but I think I could have a Madame Tenardier in me in about mm-hmm. five years' time. Why not? Yeah. And a friend of mine, Rosie Ash, played that part. And she was famous for, um, for the fact that she had a bar backstage. So oh, wow. Between, between matinee and evening shows, they would have a cocktail. Oh, wouldn't happen now, though, would it? Wouldn't happen now. Not allowed. No, you have to just do your yoga stretches in between shows now. Yeah, you're not allowed to go up on top of that barricade. Oh, I knocked back yes. about four gins, no. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they did that. I bet they did plenty. Of course they did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant fun. The best production I've ever seen of it, I am the honorary president of a children's theatre group in Soham, in oh, Cambridge, wow. and we sponsor them through this podcast. Okay. And they did not the children's production of Les Mis, the right. full-scale wow. thing. Wow. And it moved me to tears several times. It was so beautiful. There's something about youth productions of things, I think. I think when I was in the NYMT, I know that there were loads of productions that people would go and see and say, that's the best version of that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, what that is and why. Maybe it's just the love of it. Yeah, it absolutely comes out of them. Everybody on stage wants to be there for the same reason as opposed yeah. to, you know, there's a somebody who just wants to catch the last tube home or somebody who's just totally over the industry. It's just like, you know, jaded. Nobody's mm-hmm. jaded, right? No, and, and also completely committed. I mean, and, yeah. and really brave with what they do. Yeah, That's yeah, the thing. yeah. They yeah. don't sort of go, do I look that foolish here? Yeah. No. Yeah. I just it, love it. I love the music. I love... I just love everything about it. And I just, like I said, I just love the kind of the Colm Wilkinson-ness of it all. And I just love listening to him sing. And oh yeah, I just think it's great. Yeah. And I know a lot of people think it's sort of tired and a bit sort of fluffy and a frilly. And, and it kind of is all of those things. But I just, some of the songs are just some of the most beautiful music that you'll hear. Oh, love it. Yes. <laughs> I did Forbidden Broadway in the West End. Oh, wow. We did a parody of Les Mis. Oh, did you? It was just a very funny, which has the line, um, come watch us wallow in the dirt, then buy a souvenir and don it. Rich folks pay £20 a shirt that has a starving pauper on it. <laughs> that's literally what I did when I was eight. There you are, that's you. I, thought, I, I felt like a queen. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's true. It's very parodiable. But it really did lead me to be here today in a way. You know? mm-hmm. Yes. Because well, I if you cup your ear, you can just see in the distance, you can hear, hear the people sing, yeah. sing in there. They're coming. On my They're deathbed. Coming. That's what I'm going to hear on my deathbed, I hope. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Charlotte's gorgeous. Okay, well, all we've got left, I'm afraid, is the thing you want to put in there so you can forget it. So this was really hard because... I've listened to a couple of these now and people said really worthy things. David Ames, who I worked with briefly on Holby, said 2016, which I thought was brilliant because 2016 really was the worst year. It was just yeah. Worst. And then I thought, right, okay, well, I could get serious about this or not. So I've decided not so much. Um, mm. This thing, it's difficult for me because I actually really love this thing, but this thing does not love me. And it makes my life quite difficult sometimes. And it is trivial pursuit. <laughs> Trivial Pursuit is the most evil board game of all time. It has made me leave my friends' homes at the end of like dinner parties or when we were in the pub playing a nice, simple game of Trivial Pursuit. 
I've had to go home because I'm so angry. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I think my friends do it on purpose. They get it out to, to kind of see what's going to happen. I am horribly, horribly competitive about specifically about quizzing. <laughs> well, this takes us full circle, though. Yeah, it just yeah. shows how well behaved so, you were. I have over the years found my way to be able to just about get through a board game. Most board games now I can... Some of them I really enjoy, but most of them I can kind of, you know, I can hold it together. I want to win. It's very clear I want to win. I'm a little bit annoyed when I don't, but nothing holds me in its grip the way that Trivial Pursuit does because I become almost instantly furious when it comes out. I'm furious if I don't score the highest score just to who starts the game. I always find that actually, and I and I will, is this is a hill I will die on. The difficulty of the questions just always falls against me. They're always difficult. And because Trump Pursuit is like picking your face, how angry I am already. You know everybody else's answer. God, yes. Mm. I've got myself into trouble with that, that exact sentence that you've just had <laughs> plenty of times, but we won't go into that. And I always find that the scale of difficulty is so ridiculous. Some questions are so appallingly difficult, and some of them are like, literally, what is your name? And it's not <laughs> fair. Yes. What do you call the segments? Piece of pie. Thank you. It's a pie goes it's in not the a pie. No. No, it's not a cheese. I have friends who call it a cheese, and that that in itself is annoying to me. <laughs> I get annoyed when I don't get to land on the pink often enough because everyone knows that's the best category. Yeah. Um, and that's your yeah. subject. It's your yeah, subject. That's subject. not fair. But I have. I mean, I really have left people's homes over this <laughs> and had to, like, go back and pick. Like, my, my old oh. flatmate, who is also one of my best friends, Claire, one year we were in... Um, we're in, we're in our local in Kennington and we decided, I think it was like New Year's Day. So it's supposed to be, you know, chilled. No. And the night before she had got very, very drunk. She won't mind me saying this. And she'd sprained her ankle and she had, she was on crutches and we'd gone to the local and we decided to play a game of Trim Pursuit. And I thought I was going to be fine because, you know, it was chilled. It was New Year's Day. It was not fine, Mike. It was very not fine to the point where <laughs> I stormed out. We were playing with our other friend Michael I stormed out and I walked home and we lived in Vauxhall the pub was in Kennington and I got to the house which is sort of like 10 minute walk and I thought she's on, cr she's on crutches I've got to go back <laughs> so I had to go back I already felt so ashamed of myself and dirty mm. and it was awful and yet I had to sheepishly walk back into that pub and say I'm really sorry that I left you to walk home with a sprained ankle in the height of January, still drunk from the night before. I've come to get you, but can we not discuss what's just happened in any way? Yeah, but don't bring that question up again because I'm right. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. But they continue to... I played it this new year. I had to go to bed. <laughs> I had to, I had to leave the table. I said, I'm just going to go and lie down while you play. Come and get me later. John, I have every sympathy because do I, do it on but almost without fail, the moment that we start this game, my wife will say to me, "Don't get over competitive," and that <laughs> immediately that immediately winds me up. Oh, what, what do you mean? Yeah, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, Why yeah, would yeah. I do that? Do you have that problem with all games, or is it just trivial pursuit? Uh, well, I, I, there was a time when I had it with all games, but uh, yeah. but actually, it is it's stuck with triv. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still with triv. I cannot. 
I just can't do it. I find it annoying. I find all the same problems that you yeah. find. I um I'm going to tell this story because I wasn't going to tell this story, but it sticks with me. And and the person involved in this story has talked about it himself on various podcasts. I did Celebrity Mastermind as I was leaving Emmerdale. So 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and to cut a very, very long story short, I came a very close second to Josh Widdicombe. <laughs> and Josh Widdicombe has told people, I've heard him talk about it before, that I am the most competitive woman that he's ever met. <laughs> uh, because I said to Josh Widdicombe, congratulations, I knew the answers to all of your questions. <laughs> But I did, Mike. Yep, yep. And I still would maintain that to this day. And there were two questions that I should have got right. And it was my own fault that I didn't. And had I done it, I would have beaten him on passes. And it's still mm. to this day, like I'm 10 years on, still quite annoyed about that. And yeah. I'm quite annoyed that he gets to talk about it because he's more famous than I am. Yes. So and of course, he will actually present himself completely as if he just did it for the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just well, a joke. Mm, mm. Yeah. Was anyway, it? I can't talk about it. Do you think he's rich enough to have bought the questions? Do you think he bought the win? No, back then nobody knew who he was. Let's slant. Let's really slander him. Come on now. Let's, no, he really didn't. Nobody knew who he was back then. He was very much at the start of his career. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But I know that he talks about it. I've heard him talk about it. I get friends message me sometimes, going, "I've just listened to this podcast, and he's just called you the most competitive woman in the world." I'm like, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> what, is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think it probably is a bad thing, isn't it? But I have come, I think I've come a really long way because, you know, I think I held it together quite well on University Challenge in that sense. But Trivial Pursuit, it's just, I, I cannot get over the hill of it being, because it breaks my heart every time because I love it. I've always loved it. Even as a child, I loved it. And mm. yet it ruins my relationships every single time <laughs> I play. <laughs> It's a good job I've got forgiving friends, put it that way. The wonderful thing is that if you're ever thinking of going out with someone, you can play them this episode as a warning. As a warning about everything about my personality. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> or just this specific Just this specific thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we are going to get on for any length of time, it's very important. I have gone on pub quizzes to dates before, and actually they're really good dates because... I get to show my ugly side early. And if they can cope with that, then that's great. And also I get to learn if they've got a brain or not. Ah, yeah. No, it's a good thing to to find out. You don't want to be fooled just by good looks. No, no. Anyway, (laughs) please take it away from my life. Absolutely. Trivial Pursuit (laughs) will become just that. It becomes something that you will regard as being a trivial pursuit. (laughs) Of little interest to anyone. One day with lots of therapy, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sean, what an absolute joy to spend time talking to you. Oh, thank you. I've loved it. Thank you so much for asking me to come and speak to you. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Sean Rees-Williams. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on Acast or the podcast provider of your choice. And when you do, please take a moment to rate the show and perhaps write a small, friendly review with many thanks and our indebtedness. 
You can find out what's coming up on My Time Capsule if you follow me or the podcast on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. We have separate accounts, so it's probably worth following both of us. The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is available for you to listen to anytime you like on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and the producer of this podcast was, thankfully, John Fenton Stevens. Right, now, look, before I go, I have to say, I've had some criticism recently on the social media for my attitude. I was told that I've been showing my lack of education and a careless attitude to the feelings of others, and that I was becoming the definition of ignorance and apathy. All I can say to that is, look, I, I don't even know what ignorance is, and, and as far as I'm concerned, apathy, I don't bloody care, all right? That's told them. Oh, hang on a minute. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.